This episode contains discussions including dissociation, skinny shaming, pretty shaming, spiritual themes, unhealthy attention seeking, disordered eating, the modeling industry, pregnancy and childbirth, genital surgery, labiaplasty, and weight gain. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Body Story Podcast, a show about the way we're navigating the world and the bodies we've been given. I'm your host, Tiffany Eller, and I believe that if one person's story can change the way you look at them, a collection of stories may be able to change the world. Today, I'll be speaking with Christiana Herbert, an intuitive channel who helps people understand their divinity while embracing their humanity. She lives in Chicago near a magical park with her husband and daughter. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Christiana. How are you today? Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about this, uh, being an intuitive channel and helping people understand their divinity while embracing their humanity. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's kind of a fun and different bio, isn't it? Um, you know, I've had a really interesting journey with this body. And um, one of the things I've really had to embrace on the journey is that this is the body that I have. And I spent many years of my life out of my body, at least um, energetically, spiritually. And it's really through motherhood that I was um, in some ways forced to root into this body and really be present and really um, commit to being here and being a human in a body. Um, these are things that might sound a little strange to people who are um, not familiar, but people who have had more uh, of a spiritual experience, they get it because this, this world, this being in a physical body can feel so heavy and dense and constricted. Um, I spent a lot of time just checking out and we all do it. We all do it with our phones. We do it with our entertainment. And what a lot of us don't realize is that there's often a more profound level of checking out that's occurring at the same time. And particularly if you are a person in a body who's experienced trauma, you might have a more profound way of checking out of your body, which is to say you actually leave. Like you leave the building, you go elsewhere. And, um, it's hard to describe what is left because obviously, you know, your body is still moving, still functioning. Um, but it's, it's not the complete and total package that makes up you as a person when, uh, you're checked out in that way. So I found for me, what was often being described is almost this kind of, um, bipolar existence was really me checking in and out of my body and not being fully complete and fully present all at the same time. So different parts of me were running the show at different times. And through through healing, through years of spiritual practice and healing, I was able to bring everything back together and fully integrate. And because I have this very unique perspective and unique way of understanding people, understanding the world, understanding divinity, because I had a lot of experiences while I was outside of my body, of course. Um, I now use those 
understandings. I now use those experiences to help other people understand what is happening, what has happened to them, make better sense of their uh, unique journey and path, and ultimately to become better integrated and a more healthy, whole individual. That's really cool. I don't think I've ever met anybody that does that. (laughs) Well, hello there. (laughs) Hello. So you mentioned a little bit about your body story kind of being the trajectory into this career of yours. So let's get into it. What, like, where would you like to start in your body story today? Ooh, you know, ever since you sent me that question, I was wondering exactly where. And I think for a lot of us, our body story starts in childhood, in early childhood, with the people who are teaching us about the world, Um, namely, typically, our parents, or if you um, aren't directly with your parents, whoever is your guardian. And as a parent now myself, I just feel this awesome responsibility of what I am modeling for my daughter, because in these early years, it's not so much about what I tell her or what I teach her. It's about what am I actually doing myself as I interact with myself primarily, because she's constantly watching and absorbing, but also how am I interacting with her body? Am I respecting her boundaries? Am I speaking positively about her body. And um, mostly I'd say that my early childhood was really great. Um, I did get a lot of comments about how tall and skinny I was, um, but I don't think that felt really critical until about puberty. And right around puberty is when a lot of things started changing for me, um, as they do for all of us. You know, certainly physical changes, are definitely more dramatic at that point. But for me, I actually started to experience a lot more spiritual changes too. I didn't have a really great resource at the time to understand what was happening. And so I internalized a lot of stuff. And when people would make comments about the fact that I was uh, developing more slowly than, than other girls or that I was thin, tall, um, of course, these these were not spoken quite as politely as how I'm recounting it now. Um, but when people would make comments about things like that, I didn't really understand it at the time. So I just internalized it and really thought like, okay, well, there's something wrong with me. You know, I'm so different. I don't fit in anywhere. I don't fit in my family. I don't fit with my peers at school or at church. Um, you know, like I really felt like I was an island unto myself and didn't fit anywhere. And that's really not, that's not a great place um, to sort of start your journey in your body is feeling like there's really nobody who gets you and um, that you're this weirdo who doesn't really fit anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely felt that way myself. I think that's like, part of the rite of passage of becoming a teenager and like going through puberty is you're like, I don't even know if I fit in with myself. How am I supposed to fit in with everybody else? Yeah. And ideally you've got that voice of reason, a a trusted 
uh, mentor, parent, somebody who can say, don't worry, this is something that everybody goes through. And like, you are loved and unconditionally accepted with me and, you know, with this family. I mean, that's the perfect antidote to those doubts, those questions. And so many of us don't have that experience not for lack of effort. I mean, my parents loved me. My parents do love me very, very much. Um, They certainly wanted to be unconditionally loving and accepting. But, um, you know, sometimes that message just doesn't come through in the way that we need to hear it. Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. So as you went through these changes in your body, um, how did you... How did you approach them then if you didn't have the exact type of support that you felt like you needed from home? Like, did you feel like you had the support system in your friend group that you needed? Or what did that journey look like? Unfortunately not. I didn't really feel supported by anybody. So that led to a lot of overcompensating um, in other ways, you know, and attention seeking in less positive ways. Um, because I was needing something, you know, I was needing healthy attention, healthy love and acceptance. So, you know, I found in retrospect now as an adult, of course, I didn't understand this with this perspective at the time. Um, in retrospect, I can see a lot of what I did was me looking for affirmation and attention in the ways that I knew how. So um, being really, uh, I'm I'm a pretty outgoing person, even though I'm actually fairly introverted. Um, The biggest contradiction. But, you know, so I would act out even more and be louder and more outgoing. And that was a a way of getting um, some attention and affirmation that like, oh, I'm, I'm here. (laughs) like I'm here and people see me is really just the most basic need that I think I was trying to compensate for was just to be seen. Um, because I, I had this sense that if I didn't do that, I was just going to kind of slip away into nothing. And like, people weren't even going to remember that I was present or see me at all. And the way that you approached this did you feel like you were getting what you needed out of out of that approach of attention seeking? Yes, of course it wasn't positive. It didn't set up a lot of good patterns for me, but I mean it worked. That's why I did it. You know, that's why I continually did it for years because any attention is attention. So, you know, I I find that's why a lot of children and adolescents act out. You know, they've shown that in studies and it's talked about in all sorts of parenting books is that when your child is acting out, there's always, always a deeper story there. You know, they're not just quote unquote being bad or being loud. Like there's always a reason. And generally speaking, it's because they're looking for validation, attention. They want somebody to see them and meet them where they are. And, um, we don't always do that very well as a, as a culture, particularly in the Western world. Yeah. My shining example of that as a parent was 
when my daughter was probably like two or two and a half, she was just like not willing to let me help her put a diaper on or pull up or whatever. And she was just acting out. And it finally hit me as we're sitting there struggling together. I was like, are you feeling kind of neglected today? And I knew she did not know what that word meant, but she sure as heck knew what I was saying. And she was like, yes. And I was like, I am so sorry. And so it totally shifted the conversation between us because I just needed to realize that she wasn't just not putting on her diapers. She was reacting out of the lack of meaningful interaction we had had earlier in the day. So that really stuck with me. Oh my gosh, how profound and special to have that experience so early too, because that's going to go a long way as she grows into a teenager, that understanding that the two of you have created, that's going to go a long way towards circumventing any more dramatic problems down the line, because you have this understanding, she has this understanding, you're creating a space of unconditional love and acceptance where she can really be seen. Yeah, I really hope so. You mentioned that you have, is it a daughter? Yes, I do. I have a currently 20 month old daughter. And you've also expressed uh, about your body story. You sound like you're very self-aware of, of how your attention seeking in the past has not been the most healthy. So Together, is that something that's, I don't know, are you still grappling with the way you seek attention or have you healed that? And how is that affecting the way that you parent your daughter or appear in front of your daughter? What a great question, Tiffany. Um, So yes, that is by and large healed these days. Um, mostly because I have now gotten the I have now gotten the validation that I was seeking from from myself primarily because self-love is is where it's at but that self-love stems from our connection to the divine and understanding that you know, regardless of what name you use to call the divine, whether you use the term the universe, whether you say God, whether you have a personal name that's special to you, it is that part of us, that divinity within us, that is that pure vibration of unconditional love and acceptance. When we're tapped into that, you really do see the world with rose-colored glasses in a sense that you see everyone as that pure vibration of love. You see yourself in that way. You see your children in that way. And it, it changes everything because suddenly the ways in which people are acting out become more of a a cry for love than anything else. And it doesn't mean that you let people get away with behavior that is unacceptable or harmful not at all. You're able to hold a space of loving boundaries where you say, you know, in in the case with your child, perhaps, like I can understand, you might understand why they're doing this and it's still not acceptable. You know, like I can understand why my daughter is lashing out because she doesn't want to stop an activity that she's doing. Um, She doesn't want to change gears, but it's still not acceptable to, you know, 
swing her body in such a way that she's trying to hit someone, you know, so you can hold that boundary while being loving and accepting of where they are and understanding a bigger picture. Um, so that, that outlook, that attitude has really, really healed me, um, from the inside up, from the ground up. And as I've been able to be more loving and accepting of myself, the need to attention seek in detrimental ways has dropped off. The need for external validation has dropped off. Um, I, in fact, know that I'm slipping out of that space and that there's something I need to attend to when I start falling back into old habits. So that's like a way that I can, um, I hesitate to say check myself because for some reason I don't like the way that sounds, but that's one way that I can just kind of keep tabs on this habit is when it starts coming back up again, I'm like, okay, what's the deeper story here? Where am I not feeling heard? Where am I not being validated? And chances are there's something within me that I'm not giving a voice to, or I don't feel like I'm safe to give a voice to within a particular interaction or relationship. And that part needs to be heard. It needs attention. I love that. Do you refer to that as shadow work by chance? I guess it could be understood as shadow work. I feel like shadow work is deeply misunderstood in the spiritual communities. There's a lot of people who have delved so deeply into shadow work that they've just stayed there. The point of shadow working is to find these parts and then get out. <laughs> like you're supposed to find these parts, figure out what gift, what gem they have to offer you. And then let that gift be given and not dwell there. Yeah. I, I've been doing a lot of shadow work is what I call it, but it sounds like the way that I experience shadow work sounds a lot like what you just described, like those check-ins where you're like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Oh, it's actually this thing that I need to address. It's not that my husband didn't do the dishes. Like <laughs> it's this inner need for control because of X, Y, and Z. So I was just curious uh, if if you refer to it as that as well, but sounds like yours is less of fulfilling of that definition that you have for shadow work. You know, at some point I'll have a better name for it. Um, shadow work has just become so popular uh, just, just with that name alone. And there's lots of different ways that people teach it. And like I say, people can kind of get lost and stuck in there. And the whole point of that work is to emerge on the other side is to come out of it and not dwell. Because if you do, I mean, you have that option, you're, you're wounded inner child, like that part of you may carry some amount of that wounded energy forever. And it just depends on like, what position you're taking as you look at it and, and what lens are you looking through? And, um, if you continue to stay tapped into that wounded energy, you can stay there forever. The, the point is to acknowledge that part, give it a voice, let it know it's safe and able to express whatever it is 
to look back at these situations that occurred in, in your life, in your past, with the eyes of an adult and give yourself that unconditional love and acceptance that you needed back then. And then let that be finished and step away enough that it has a chance to change while you're not paying attention to it. Yeah, I think that's a really good segue into a question that I wanted to ask you, because in your intake form, you mentioned that you experienced like skinny and pretty shaming. So has that left any residual scars on you? And is that something that you've been able to overcome maybe through that type of work? I did experience skinny and pretty shaming because I worked as an actress and model here in Chicago for a number of years. Um, And there is this sense in that particular industry of perpetual not enoughness because no matter how thin you are, there's always somebody who's going to be thinner. No matter how tall you are, there's always somebody who's going to be taller. No matter how pretty you are, there's always somebody who's going to be prettier. Um, Whether that's subjective or not is neither here nor there. That's just the way the industry works. And no matter how tall and skinny and pretty you are, you may or may not be picked for an audition or a casting call because of who knows, whatever arbitrary uh, reasons a casting director might have, and you never find out. So you'll go to an audition, you'll go to a casting call, and then you never hear anything back. You only ever hear something back if you've booked the job, which is, you know, very exciting and you celebrate. But if you're not picked, you just, it's just radio silence. Um, So you're left with having to create a discipline uh, with your thoughts so that you don't spiral into this place of forever wondering why certain jobs, certain opportunities didn't pan out. And our minds can be cruel. Like our minds can come up with all sorts of stories that aren't true, that are more dramatic than whatever the truth may be. Like in my case, I I have red hair. That's a pretty um, specific look. And a lot of times I wouldn't get cast for something. And so I had to just remind myself that it could have been something as simple as you know, they were looking for a mom to be cast in a commercial and they already had the kid picked out and the kid didn't look like they belonged with a redheaded, fair skinned mom. So, you know, anybody who looked like me who showed up to that audition was automatically not going to be given a second thought. And that could be that simple rather than any story you might invent, which is like, oh, well, I did a terrible job and I need to go back and take another acting course because, you know, I didn't really show up and they didn't like me and there's something wrong with me. And um, you have to be so disciplined in that world to not allow yourself to go down that path. Um, And with social media, like you can compare yourself to tons and tons of people, tons of professional actors and models who you uh, end up connected with over social media and really feel deeply inadequate next to like, wow, 
you know, of course, remembering that you're comparing your everyday life with some person's highlight reel, you know, that's, that's never fair. And that's true of anybody on social media. So, um, yeah, so the sort of skinny and pretty shaming, in, in some ways, it was an aspect of that industry. In another way, it was just an aspect of um, the jealousy and envy that I experienced from people who would assume that I didn't have much to offer a conversation or, um, I mean, I, I, it's so antiquated, but there is still this assumption that people who are attractive are stupid or they're not educated or their looks are all they have going for them. And I would occasionally run into that on uh, casting calls or elsewhere where they just assume like, Oh, well, you know, you're just this, dumb model. What do you know? And, um, it's, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And, um, if I, I had a, uh, pretty disordered relationship with food and with eating in an effort to be thinner for quite some time. And so people would, I would speak very genuinely about my struggle to keep weight on And people would dismiss that out of hand and say, oh, I wish I had that problem, you know, and things like that always felt very dismissive and very painful to me because um, I think both sides of the coin are equally valid. There's people who struggle to keep weight on and to have a healthy relationship with food, just as there's people who struggle to keep weight off and also have a healthy relationship with food. It's the same story at the end of the day. It's just two sides of the coin. Um, and yeah, that, that had a huge impact on me. And I was very grateful when the spiritual work was calling me deeper and deeper and deeper. And I realized I was going to have to choose. And I had just had one of the more successful years of work in the industry and was really making some good headway and was signing with better agents and doing some great commercial work. And, you know, the commercial work is really what pays the bills. And, um, I was really making some great headway and I could kind of feel this momentum starting to build. And then I had this kind of what I can only describe as a spiritual wake up call. And it was made very abundantly clear to me that I was going to have to choose um, which path I was going to take. And that shutting off my spiritual gifts and knowings was going to be more detrimental in the end. That I would find other outlets to be creative, because that's ultimately what was of interest to me in acting and modeling, was the opportunity to be creative. Um, especially once the attention driven part went away and it wasn't so much an ego thing of saying, Oh, I'm acting and modeling. And like, that makes my ego feel good. Once that part started dropping away, I realized what my main um, appeal for even being there was, was that I wanted to be creative and express myself in front of a camera. And I realized I can do that in lots of different avenues And I can express an even deeper part of myself as I lean into the spiritual work. But if I continued to lean into that industry, 
there would be almost a larger part of myself, a more profound part of myself that would be silenced and um, not developed, not given the attention it deserved. So I made that choice um, just, I think, three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago, I made the choice to be done. And I called my agents and I couldn't even really bear to say, like, I'm totally done. I just called my agents and said, I'm taking a break. I'm going on hiatus. And that break turned out to be permanent. And I don't really miss it in the way that I thought I would. There's still times where I look at like old pictures from photo shoots and stuff. And I think, oh my gosh, like that was so much fun. I wish I could do that again. I get a little wistful, but not to the point where I want to be involved in the industry and everything else that comes with it, you know? It's really just a desire to be creative at the end of the day that I truly, truly enjoy. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you followed your heart and that you know that like that creativity can exist anywhere or in any avenue you choose to pursue. Because being an artist myself, that's one thing that I hold true for me is that like I am not a pigeonhole artist. Like I do not need one medium for my whole life to express my creativity because so many different things call my name at any given time. And that's also beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that way? Yes. I think it's true of a lot of creative people is that you're kind of multi-passionate because there isn't a single creative venture or an artistic venture that I haven't dabbled in, you know, like I've, I designed my own wedding invitations and all of the stationery, all of the design that went with the wedding. I did my own wedding planning. I bought the vases and I didn't realize most people actually rent vases from their florists (laughs) when they get married. Didn't know that. I supplied all the decor, um, top to bottom, like had this massive creative vision, this, this whole project, um, I've decorated our whole home. I've decorated my daughter's nursery. I've painted. I've done photography. I've, I used to make my own Christmas cards. Like most of us who are creative find ourselves to be multi-passionate. And it's like, there's this, it's really the creativity that's within you. It's just looking for an outlet. It wants to come bursting out. So you know, whether it's jewelry making or sewing or graphic arts or whatever it is. And I've dabbled in pretty much all of it. Um, It's really just like allowing that part to be expressed that leads to the fulfillment. It almost doesn't matter what avenue you choose. Exactly. That's what I love about it. (laughs) So moving back into your body story, I'm sorry, I took it on an art tangent. That's my passion. Um, (laughs) Hey, art is important. I think it is. Makes Uh, life worth living. I so agree. I could talk for hours on art, but (laughs) going back to your body story. So we talked about you experiencing skinny shaming and pretty shaming, and then you had a baby. So do you want to talk about what pregnancy did to your body image and I don't know. I just want to hear about it. 
tell me where you'd like to start. Pregnancy and motherhood is wild. There's nothing like it. And as prepared as you think that you are for it, there's no way to fully prepare. And every single mother that I know would agree with that because it's just something that you can never fully prepare for. The changes that your body goes through if if you are physically carrying your child, birthing your child, it's just unreal. Like you look back at the photos I do now. I look back at these photos of me with my giant belly and I'm like, who is that? Like, <laughs> how did my body do that? Um, it was really hard. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I thought I like I thought I was healed. I thought I was in a place where I could really embrace pregnancy and motherhood from a very healthy perspective. And that was all true. It's just that there's there's no way to prepare for it. And for me, um, pregnancy, motherhood, the recovery from childbirth, that pushed me to really examine whether I was truly fully healed in the way that I thought I was. Um, it motivated me to dig deeper. And sometimes that's really tough, really painful. And it's like the last thing you want to do. Um, and of course there's the hormones and the physical part. Yeah. Like you're on top of everything else that you're going through. You have this amazingly complex cocktail of hormones in your body. That's making everything seem um, in some ways, like more dramatic or more upsetting than it would be. Yes. Like blown out of proportion. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I remember sitting. So my daughter was in a bassinet in our room and we have our vision board on the wall just behind where her bassinet was. And I had thumbtacked a couple pictures of her via ultrasound on the vision board during my pregnancy so that we could like look at that vision board in our room and see that as we went to sleep every night. And then having her home from the hospital and laying in that bassinet, I remember just like sitting on the bed and sobbing because I was like, it's so beautiful. Like I just couldn't. (laughs) And so, you know, that's still something that's like sentimental and emotional to me, but the level to which you feel those things is really there's no way to prepare for it. You're just completely unmoored from your senses in any sort of like controlled way. And you have to just kind of let it go. Um, I was not prepared for how much my body would change. I would say that I had a really positive pregnancy, very standard, normal pregnancy, um, apart from the fact that I did fail the blood sugar test that all moms have to take Um, I did end up with a diagnosis of gestational diabetes and I had to prick my finger multiple times a day for the whole pretty much last trimester of my pregnancy and really keep tabs on what I was eating. That really brought out um, a lot of those old feelings of, you know, my body's inadequate, my body's a lemon, there's something wrong with me. Uh, Now I have to have this disordered relationship with food where I can't eat all the things I would want to eat. I have to like really monitor things very carefully and count my carbs. That was super triggering for me. Um, But the plus side I can say now, you know, so many months and even years removed uh, 
is that it pushed me to really heal that and to really lean on the support that I had in my husband, in my friends. Um, it really pushed me to find a deeper way to heal those wounds. And, um, I did have a pretty long childbirth. I had a large baby, so they, uh, there's really no way to like fully, I went to the hypnobirthing classes and I knew everything there was to know. And I labored at home. I got to the hospital. They were like, great. You know, you're in great shape. You're like six and a half centimeters dilated. And I was like, yes, I've done everything I needed to do. It should be smooth sailing from here on out. And then everything kind of like slowed down. So I ended up having 30 hours total of labor and like four hours of pushing because I had this giant headed nine pound baby to push out. And, um, I think if it had been another practice that I had gone with instead of a very holistic midwife, um, run practice, I might've ended up with a C-section, which is what I was like, really not wanting for myself, especially since I was really determined to do the whole thing without any, um, medication and very low um, interference. People were like, why? I, don't, I had this idea. I trained for it like it was a marathon and I was bound and determined to do it. I wanted to have that full experience. Um, so, you know, I did end up pushing her out and she was born and all was well. And then I did have a pretty big tear. I had a second degree tear that required stitches and then it didn't heal properly. And I was in pain pretty much every day, some level of pelvic pain every day for about four months after she was born um, until I went in and had a, I guess they would call it, what is it called? Like a labiaplasty? <laughs> Basically, it's plastic surgery on your labia to put things back together as they should be. Um, so I ended up seeing the um, obstetrician gynecologist who's part of the midwife practice, and she was able to treat me in a short outpatient surgery where I was thankfully put under. <laughs> and I was pretty much instantly better. I had to take it easy for a couple of weeks, but pretty much the pain was instantly resolved. And um, I did some pelvic floor and core therapy with a, um, with a personal trainer and, uh, insurance covers that. That's always great to know. I feel like more women need to know about that. Like if you have insurance, your insurance will most likely cover that. And so everything's fine. Humpty Dumpty was put back together again, but it was so hard. And looking back, I, do still experience some sadness about those first few months and how being in that level of pain throughout kind of robbed me of some of the joy and fully being present in the experience because I, well, I wasn't present, you know, I was, I was in pain. And when you're in physical pain, you're not able to be as present as you would like. It's a constant struggle. So 
I, I do, for a while there, I was really feeling guilty and even self-shaming about like how I had robbed my daughter of having the experience with her mother that she needed. Thankfully, thankfully with time and speaking with people um, wiser than me, I've been able to let go of that and, and just accept things for as they were. And my husband has reassured me that I you know, he's like, no, you did an amazing job. You were constantly showing up for her and answering to her needs and nursing her through the night, even when you were in pain, like, you know, um, I think sometimes we have a way of feeling like things were worse than they perhaps actually were, um, as it relates to how we interact with other people. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that everything's fine now. Let's just say that. So your self-image after after going through all that pre-surgery, post-surgery, where you're feeling like you're not serving your daughter the best that you could, all of that was just in your head then, according to at least the positive feedback you were getting from your husband? Yes, and, and from my mother as well, who, you know, she was at my house frequently still is at my house frequently to um, take care of my daughter and help out and enjoy life as grandma. Um, Yes, they've reassured me that no, I was still present and I was still showing up. In fact, I was probably just putting myself last in, in the interest of showing up so fully for my daughter. Um, and I guess they're probably right. I do recall getting to the end of my days and just having nothing left being so depleted and just like sitting on the couch with my husband crying. Cause I was just so exhausted, so spent and so tired from being in that level of pain and just feeling so deeply that like, what is wrong with me? Like, why isn't my body healing? Why, why was everything so hard? You know, um, there's this story that women are told, which is meant to be very empowering. It it is true. You know, you're told throughout your pregnancy as you're preparing for labor and childbirth, especially for the first time, people are saying your body is designed to do this. Your body is designed to do this. And like, rest assured, your body can do this. That's a very positive message, but the downside is that when things don't go according to plan, you end up kind of having this message that like, maybe my body wasn't made to do this. Maybe my body isn't the same as other people's bodies. Maybe my body is broken or wrong compared to everybody else who seems to be able to push out a baby and just go on with life you know, and like drop the baby weight and get thin. And so I was bewildered by my new body as a new mom and was like, what has happened here? Everything felt so different. And um, I gained a considerable amount of weight in my pregnancy, like a a good 50 pounds. Um, And wasn't worried about it, like had asked my midwives to not tell me my weight during my pregnancy unless it was really something that they were concerned about. So they didn't um, because I was dealing with so much triggering related to disordered eating. I I was like, I can't have anything else contribute to that. I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm not going to pay attention to the number on the scale. 
So it wasn't until afterwards in the recovery where I started to get a sense of like, oh, you know, I've actually gained a pretty good amount of baby weight and I don't feel super comfortable and I'm not healing properly. I'm not healing quickly. I'm not having this like quick snap back. Um, I had to go out and buy new clothes because once you're, once you're done being pregnant there, you do not want to get back into maternity clothes because they will continually make you look pregnant. Um, but of course your previous clothes sometimes don't fit. So you're trying to figure out like, well, okay, what am I supposed to do here? So I had to go out and buy all new clothes because nothing fit and just felt so demoralized. It was mad. I was just just angry. I was angry at my body and felt like I had been betrayed. And like, this is the one thing that my body's supposed to really know how to do as a woman. And I have failed. Thankfully, with some time and therapy and um, again, talking to people who are outside of my own head and wiser than me, they were like, no, 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 your body did what it, your body built a perfectly healthy and beautiful baby and brought it into the world. Like your body did what it was supposed to do. And I was able to see and understand that that was, that that was true. That's awesome. I, a lot of what you've said really resonates with me and my pregnancy journey and like how I gained weight and had to buy new clothes and all this stuff. So I know that I'm sure other women have, have had similar experiences and will definitely resonate with, with your story. So (laughs) this question I love because you provided it. Why isn't there a mom bod trend? That is such a good question. It's a question that I've been asking myself for some time and I do feel like that's changing. I want to say that I'm ultimately like optimistic and positive about that because there are other people asking this question and the answer to it is that we need to create that trend ourselves. Um, There isn't a mom bod trend simply because it hasn't been created. It hasn't been made mainstream and um, that's changing now there's lots of projects with either user submitted photographs or actual professional photographers photographing mom's bodies, postpartum bodies. And that's all an offshoot of birth photography. So for me, as I prepared for childbirth and as I recovered, it was incredibly powerful and healing eventually, to see all these other experiences and to understand that the image that was being sold to me of what childbirth looked like in movies, on TV shows was so inaccurate, so false. And then just the uh, the image of women snapping back immediately to their pre-baby body, you know, quote unquote, and like all these headlines that say, I got my body back. Like, where did it go? It never left. <laughs> were, were you just walking around like a floating, a floating <laughs> balloon of consciousness without a body for months and months? Like, you know, all those headlines just to kind of poke fun at those and to see what more, what do real women's bodies look like? 
you know, what, what is C-section scars and stretch marks and breasts that have breastfed children and, um, the saggy skin and yeah, all like it. that is real life. And, um, another very, this is so unorthodox, but another very healing thing for me has been to just go to a spa. Like not all cities have this, but in Chicago, there's this incredible Korean spa where in the traditional Korean, um, style, you are with all the other women on the um, hot tub side of the spa and nobody wears bathing suits. It's a very traditional Korean spa. And so you see this absolute huge variety of women's bodies. And it's not something that we're typically exposed to because in the Western world, you know, we stay really covered up even at the beach. Everybody's pretty covered up and wrapped in a towel and wearing bathing suit cover-ups. And maybe that's less of a factor in Europe since there's, you know, clothing optional and topless beaches. I don't know. I have to just sort of imagine these things, but going to that spa, um, I couldn't go during my pregnancy because you can't sit in a hot tub during your pregnancy, but before my pregnancy and then after, and just kind of seeing like, oh, wow, this is what women's bodies look like. You know, there's people have scars, people have mastectomies, people have tattoos, there's all different shapes and sizes and colors of people. And I'm just like one particular shape and size in this whole rainbow of what humans can look like. And really sitting with that and realizing like there is no better or worse there's only things that we've decided are better or worse allows you to make a different choice for yourself and say, you know what? I, I am not subscribing to that notion that there's better and worse. I'm just going to just, you know, subscribe to the notion that there's a wide variety that's out there and everybody's important and equal and everybody's body is beautiful in its own way. I love that. I feel like I've kind of adopted a similar view as I've started this podcast and started following so many different types of body accounts, like just exposing myself to the different types of naked bodies or, you know, body sizes and genital shapes and whatever, like all these things have made me realize just the vastness that we, we do have as a species and Every time you expose yourself to something that doesn't look like you um, in whatever way that is, like your understanding of your own body comes out a little more. I don't know. That's been my experience. Um, I don't know. Sounds similar, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the more we can understand that we are this amazingly diverse species with an incredible rainbow of variety, the, the better, you know? What, Christiana, would you like to leave our audience with today? I would like everyone to understand that, going back to the concept of the spa, like one of the best things you can do in order to foster more self-acceptance and then also acceptance of others 
is to actually expose yourself to what do other bodies actually look like. And that doesn't have to be an in-person thing if you're shy or modest or, you know, it doesn't have to look like that. But follow different accounts on social media where people talk specifically about uh, body acceptance, body positivity, and really start seeing that there are other bodies out there that look like you, because there are. You know, we've got billions of people on this planet. Chances are there's somebody out there who looks pretty similar to you, who has got your shape and size. And that means that whatever it is that your body looks like, you're not like, you know, whatever story, whatever negative story you've told yourself about, um, well, this part makes me weird. This thing makes me a freak. Like I don't fit in. I don't look like this person. I don't look like this celebrity. Recognize that those are stories. Those are not the truth. And start specifically surrounding yourself, at least online, with different stories, because that's what allows you to rewrite that story that you're telling yourself. And from a more spiritual perspective, understand that your body is a vehicle, but it is not the ultimate uh, eternal part of you. Because at the end of this life, your body will breathe its last breath and cease to be. And there is a part of you that will go on. And regardless of whether you believe that there's a specific kind of afterlife or heaven, or if you're on to another life, I think most people, the vast majority of people either believe or would like to believe that there's something that comes after this life. So that means that your body is the vehicle through which you are experiencing life and it deserves love and acceptance and respect and it deserves your loving attention and resources to take care of it and to give back because think of how many things your body has done for you. You know, my body has created another life and birthed it and healed from that and my body has carried me in pretty good health throughout, you know, all of these chapters and adventures and struggles of my life. And it asks for very little, you know, so the least I can do is to give myself the unconditional loving acceptance and thank my body for carrying me through this life and understand that you're so much more, you're so much more than just a body. And that the more you deepen into that, this relationship with what I would describe as your soul, your, your spiritual side, as you deepen into that, that has the potential to heal the relationship that you have with your body and with other people and make it a richer, more fulfilling experience of being human and walking through the world in a more holistic way where you're integrated instead of feeling like well, I'm a body and a soul. No, you're all of those things simultaneously at all times. And it takes a little practice to be able to understand that, but you're not just like a mind that was plunked into a physical shell. You're not just a soul either. So if you're like me or you've ditched your body (laughs) and like hopped out of your consciousness and gone to explore the multiverse and not spent a lot of time 
grounded into your humanity because it feels weird and kind of gross and heavy. Like regardless of what your story is, you are all of these things simultaneously. It's the best thing you can possibly do can do is to embrace it all. Embrace it all and understand that you came here for a reason. And that reason was to experience reality in a body. Because as wonderful as things feel on the other side, you're not in a body. So it can't compare to the sensation of smelling freshly baked bread or feeling raindrops on your face or feeling the breeze in your hair or putting your arms around someone that you love and feeling that embrace. Like there's a reason we came here to be in these bodies and it's because they afford us specific experiences and sensations that aren't available elsewhere. So enjoy it because it's an immense gift. I could not have said that better myself. Thank you so much for being on here today, Christiana. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Tiffany. It's an honor. I am just so delighted. Uh, On that note, uh, as Christiana said, following body positive accounts can really help you understand your body better and understand that of others better. If you feel that you don't have access to these types of accounts in your life, I do encourage you to find us on Instagram at Body Story Podcast, because not only do we share uh, body positive art that we think is important, but you can actually go into who we follow and look at anybody on there because almost everything that we follow is either a mental health account or uh, a body positive or body acceptance account. So there is no lack of resources for you to check it out. That again is at body story podcast on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash body story podcast. We are trying to make this a full-time thing and doing it on no budget. So your dollar goes a really long way for us as we try to get these stories out to more people and end body shame around the world. So we will see you on the next episode. This episode was made possible by our Patreon supporters, Stephanie Baird and Jonathan Stratton. The Body Story Podcast's editor is Daniel Vogt, our producer is Amanda Ray, and our creative director is Emily Fisher. 